You can grab a seat. It's exciting to be together, celebrate like this. We're joining with billions of people around the world uh, who are, are together celebrating uh, uh, the, the fact that Jesus is risen, that we have life in him. And, and if there's anything that we have at Beach Point been focusing on in this first part of the year, it's this idea of, of with, of, of a life with God. That the story of God is a story of a God who is completely content in himself, but who creates us so that he can share himself with us, so that we can have life with him, who redeems us, who will do everything, who will leave nothing aside to restore a relationship with us. And ultimately what we know is that the end of the story is that heaven and earth are coming together so that we can be with him always. And this is the, the amazing thing that we see in the story of, uh, of God and we experience here together at Easter. And this is what celebrations do. They, you get a chance just to be caught up in, in the, the glory of that. Uh, last night, uh, we had a packed house here. We were uh, uh, in our new building. Uh, we had tables. We had dinner. We had over 500 people that were here last night. And it was fun because a lot of people were coming up to me and they were talking about uh, how exciting all the construction, the new building. The new building is so new, we don't even have a name for it yet. We just still call it the new building. And we were just talking about, like, all they could say is, wow, look at this. Look at all the things that have happened. And they were just focusing on all the, all the ways we, uh, you know, the great stuff that were happening. Uh, but no one was noticing, uh, no one, at least no one brought up uh, the, the fenced off areas of chaos and, and mess and, and the things that we still got to get to. Well, uh, in fact, tomorrow they start painting. The whole campus is going to look different when you come here next week. But we were kind of taking, I, I love that because in some ways the celebration was just focused on the win. Uh, but, but tomorrow uh, we get back to the grind. Tomorrow we get back to, the, to, to dealing with the chaos. Uh, uh, Friday, I turned 50, and so uh, I, you don't have to, don't clap for that. That's not worth clapping for. It's frightening. Uh, and so I'm, I'm like, I, I, I'm excited. There's a celebration. My wife booked a trip to Cabo. Just the two of us were going. Uh, I mean, no kids this time. We just get to be with us. And so uh, there's a celebration. We're going uh, bowling as a family to celebrate. And then after the celebration comes the grind. It comes trying to figure out how to do 50. I got to figure out how to have dinner at 4.30 in the afternoon. I got to, I got to, I got to figure out I play softball with my, my kids, uh, my two boys, and a bunch of their 20-year-old friends. And so anytime I get a hit, there's already a 22-year-old guy standing there at first base, like yelling to the umpire, runner, runner, because they figure you don't want to run another 60 feet, do you, right? Like, I, we just assumed you were done. And so, I, you know, I'm trying to deal with it. You know, obviously, I have no acting career going for me. I, my head, my giant head is not going to get any smaller. Uh, so I, I got to figure out how to do 50. And this, this is life, right? We have the celebration, and then we have the grind. And as we think about this, uh, uh, we will celebrate today, and then we will get back to the grind tomorrow of learning how to live life with Jesus, which which is great in moments like this. It makes a lot of sense, but what about when in the grind you're struggling, when you're failing? Uh, you know, none of us ever plan to fail. None of us wake up. No, no, none of you are going to wake up tomorrow and say, you know what? You know what I plan on doing today? I plan on really letting my boss down. I plan on bombing that test. I, I, you know what? I haven't offended my wife lately. Honey, I want to let you know how you really look in those jeans, right? There's none of us, none of us think about this. None of us plan for this, but we, we face failure, don't we? We know these things. Can you remember your first breakup? I mean, you thought the world wasn't going to 
continue on its access. Like you just thought that, that the world had ended. But some of us know the real pain. Our families have gone through divorce. And we know these real pains, these real failures. Uh, some of you know the real pain of career and not, not working the way you wanted or, or a layoff or getting fired, filing for bankruptcy. All these things are things that are part of life. They're never things that we plan on, but they're things that we have to face. And, and we fail spiritually too. And when we fail God, it, it puts us in the cycle. We, we're in the cycle where we, we start discovering that we want to, we feel guilt, we feel shame, we want to hide from God. And, and it's a difficult thing. See, failure is something that doesn't just affect, it affects us physically, it affects us emotionally, it affects us spiritually. And when we, when we fail God, we hide from him. Yet the fascinating thing is as we hide, God comes searching for us. We see this from the very beginning. And one of the most interesting things is that we see that God continues to use people who seem to fail him. Abraham, right from the beginning, we see has a trouble with deception. Moses had this anger issue. David, we won't even get into David's life. But think about Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest uh, friends. He was one of the 12. He was following Jesus. He was going to be the leader for Jesus. He was going to lead with him. And on the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter, who had declared, even if all of these guys desert you, I will stay with you. I will die with you. He denied even knowing Jesus three times. In fact, after the third time, just as Jesus predicted before the rooster crows, it says that, that there was this moment, Luke tells us there was this moment, where when he denied him, it says that he, the Lord looked straight at Peter. And he remembered those words. Can you imagine failing Jesus in, in a way as dynamic as that and then looking him right in the eye? And seeing him and knowing what you have done and knowing you let down your best friend and knowing you let down the one you, you would give your life for. Uh, the pain of this is incredible. And yet through the life of Peter, we discover something. We discover that our failures are not uh, fatal or final. In fact, what we discover is something beautiful that we're going to see in the story, the Easter story today. It's the big idea that we're going to talk about today is that Jesus is more interested in redeeming your future than condemning your past. I mean, part of the, 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 the miracle and the, the glory of Easter is seen in the Easter story that Jesus wants to redeem your future. And he doesn't want to condemn your past See, a life with Jesus is a life of being restored, and it's a, it's a life of being transformed into Christ's likeness, into likeness of him, and that's work. See, this is the, the good news of the gospel is not that he died for us when we had our act together. It's that while we were sinners, he died for us. And so we find hope in this message, and we find power in this, and, and, and in the Easter story is wrapped up Peter's story, and wrapped up in Peter's story is our story. And so this morning, I want us to see this, this amazing story, but it, it takes us on a little rabbit trail that I think is exciting because we see this big idea come that, that Jesus is more interested in redeeming our future than condemning our past. And so as uh, the, uh, the weekend was going, Jesus had died. They had buried him. And then we pick up, and, and uh, we've been reading the story of Jesus through the book of Mark, and Mark 16 begins with, we know this, that the, all his followers were hiding, but there were three women, faithful. They were there when Jesus died. 
They were there when he was buried and they're coming again to the tomb to finish a job. And for the followers of Jesus, as far as they know, life with Jesus is over. But they're about to find out that life with Jesus is really just beginning. So here, let me put it on the screen. I want, I want to read to you uh, from the book of Mark, uh, the story. But I want you to catch something that Mark tells us that none of the other gospel writers tell us. It says that when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jane, Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And they entered the tomb and when they, uh, they saw a young man dressed in white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And trembling and bewildered, the women went out, fled from the tomb, and said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now Mark's account has all the the same things, the big highlights that all the accounts have. Uh, The empty tomb, the announcement that he is risen, uh, the instructions to go tell the disciples and to, and to go, uh, what, what's going to happen next, to go into Galilee. But Mark gives us a phrase. I don't know if you caught it. There are two words that Mark gives us that are in any of the other gospel accounts. Remember the words he says of this, that angel says is, go tell his disciples and Peter. Some commentators uh, uh, would say that maybe the translation would be even Peter. The angel says, you're going to go into Galilee, make sure to tell all the disciples, and make sure you don't leave out Peter. We know what he did, but don't leave him out. Go tell Peter. And so somehow in this Easter story, there is a, a story of redemption where Jesus and Peter, something, there's, there's a work that he wants to do in Peter's life as much as he wants to do a work in the entire world. And so we see this, and it's kind of fascinating because what we know from the book of Mark is this, is that Peter is the one who has, he's been the source. He's been the one who's been telling Mark the stories. And he lets them know there's an instruction to make sure I'm there. So, so we, we want to ask the question, so what, what did Jesus want to do with Peter in Galilee? And so I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and we're going to uh, see what happened. Why does he single Peter out? What does he want to do? And, and so as you're turning there, if you need a Bible, there's one in front of you, page 1088. But, but let me help you understand the story of Peter a, a little bit. His name is Simon, but when he first met him, his brother Andrew first had met Jesus, and it says the first thing Andrew did was take Uh, Jesus to meet his brother. Uh, Simon meets him, and Jesus right away gives him a nickname. He says, your your name is Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock or rocky. And he tells him, this is your name. And so these brothers are kind of hanging around Jesus, but don't quite know. Andrew seems convinced, but Peter not so much. Peter, he's continued as a fisherman, he has a fishing business, and, and one night uh, he goes out, he catches nothing, which is, it's really death in his trade because you would go out, you'd fish, and then you'd come in on the shore and you'd sell your fish. That's how you made ends meet. And so this day, he's not going to, he's not going to make any income. Maybe he doesn't even eat this day. 
And Jesus comes along and he wants to teach and the crowd is so big that he asks Peter, can I, can I use your boat? He kind of goes out a little ways and he begins to teach. And so Peter's just sitting there and he's mending his nets. He's working his way uh, through, the, through all the chores he has to do. And when Jesus finishes, he looks at Peter and says, Peter, let's go back out on the sea. Let's go back on the Sea of Galilee. Let's throw the nets back in. Let's go fishing one more time. Let's throw the nets in deeper water. And Peter, you can tell he's, he's just frustrated. He's like, I just cleaned everything. I'm tired. We caught nothing. But if you say so. And so they get in the boat and they go out and it's just kind of quiet. And Jesus instructs them to throw the nets into deep water. And so these huge nets, they throw them all out. And then there's a tug. And the boat pulls. And it pulls so much that he can't hold on to it. He can feel the boat sinking. And so he calls out to James and John, who are these brothers who are, are partners with him in the fishing business. And they, their boat comes along and they grab the net with him and they're pulling in this giant catch. And Peter is ankle deep in fish, which is a strange place to meet God, isn't it? And he realizes who is standing in the boat with him. And he falls to his knees and he looks up and Jesus is looking right at him with a giant smile and says to him he says to Jesus he says go away from me Lord I'm a sinful man Peter's feeling is I I should not be here in this moment he knows this is not a natural moment this is a supernatural moment he is standing before God and he wants God to go and said Jesus says this Peter you used to catch fish. From now on, you're going to catch people. We're going to change the world. And it says in, in the book of Mark chapter 1 that Peter, James, John, Andrew, they left their nets. They immediately, they began to follow Jesus. And they became disciples. They became followers of him. And we see that, that over the course of time that Peter, although he's described by the authorities as unschooled and ordinary, and we get, we get a drift of this because he's always asking questions. He never seems to quite get it. But Peter seems to have Jesus' attention. Jesus is allowing him to see and experience things that some of the other disciples aren't getting to. He takes him up in the room where he, when he brings a, a little girl back to life, he takes him up on a mountain when he reveals his glory. He's showing Peter things that none of the other disciples are seeing. And so when Jesus says, who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. You're the one who's gonna save the world. Jesus declares, you're the one I'm going to build with. And as they come into their final night, they, they're having this final supper, this last supper together. And again, we started seeing kind of the, the, the challenges that Peter has. That Jesus washes his feet. He's like, no, 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 you can't do this. Never I'm going to let you wash my feet. He's like, Peter, i got to do it. Okay, wash all of me. And Peter, okay, easy. Slow down. You're missing the metaphor here. Jesus says, look, one of you is going to betray me. Later, he says, he says uh, to them, you're all going to desert me. And Peter uses these words, even if all, of they, all these guys desert you, I will never desert you. I will die with you. And Jesus says, really, Peter? He says, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Now, Jesus gives a little hint. It's kind of interesting. He says, now, Peter, when you come back to me, restore, take care of your brothers. 
And Peter's not catching all the things that happen. Jesus goes out to the garden. He goes to pray. He knows all that the cross is before him. He knows uh, the, the burden of what's before him. He asks Peter, will you come and pray with me? Three times he goes back to Peter. He finds Peter asleep every single time. And it just keeps getting worse for Peter. They come to arrest Jesus. Peter pulls out a sword. He cuts off the servant's ear. Jesus has to say no. Picks up the guy's ear, puts it back on his head. That's a whole nother story. Peter's still missing the point. And they all run. And they all desert Jesus, just as he said they would. But Peter begins to follow from a distance. And this is maybe a good thing for us to see. It's never safe to follow Jesus from a distance. He follows from a distance. They take Jesus in to, as they're arresting him. He's outside this gate. And as he's trying to come into this courtyard area, the servant girl who's there says, you were with him, huh? And he denies it. He comes in the courtyard and there's a charcoal fire that's set up and he's standing around warming himself, trying to blend in. And again, he's asked, aren't you with Jesus? And he denies it, not just denying it, calling down curses on himself, trying to prove to them, I don't know him. And again, they ask, they they say to him, they say, yeah, you definitely were with him. I can hear it in your accent. You're Galilean. You were definitely with Jesus. He begins swearing. And right then the rooster crows, right then, his eyes meet across this charcoal fire with his dear friend, the one he has just denied three times. And it says that Peter left, he wept bitterly. Because think about what had to happen after that. He had to just simply live with, the, with his imagination of what they were doing, the torture that his friend was going through. He said he would be there for him, and now his friend is alone being beaten, being whipped, being tortured, being, being crucified. And all he can do is try to imagine it in his head knowing there's nothing I can ever do in my lifetime to make this right. And Peter joins the others in hiding. And when the women came into the room that Sunday morning and saying, we have seen him, he is alive, the tomb is empty, Peter runs down to the tomb to see what's going on. Other disciples are like, stop this nonsense. But Peter runs down to the tomb to see what what had happened. And it says he hadn't quite figured it out yet. And then something interesting happens. It's something we don't know anything about. But Luke tells us this, that as the day was going on, two travelers who who Jesus had appeared to come into the room saying, we've seen him. And, and, And the room is buzzing. They're saying, he has risen indeed. He appeared to Simon. That's all we have. We have one line. He appeared to Simon. We don't know anything about that meeting. It's as if Jesus says to all of us, you don't need to know what happened in that meeting. That's between me and Peter. But I believe that in that meeting that there was a restoration that began because we see something that happens in this. In fact, Jesus then appears in the room with all of them. He begins to teach them the scriptures, helping them see how this was all supposed to happen. A week later, he appears again. Thomas is in the room. He places his hands in the, in the nail holes. And, and then finally, they move on to Galilee. They go to where they were supposed to go. Go to Galilee, wait for me there, and I'm going to give you instructions of what's going to happen next. And, and I wonder if Jesus wanted to do this on purpose because they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. 
And it's almost as if he's teasing them just enough because right at the moment that Peter has had enough, he says, I'm going fishing. I'm tired of waiting. And he gets in a boat and he goes back out. The last time he was on a boat was the day Jesus had called him. And a number of the other disciples get in the boat with him. They go out all night fishing and they come to the end of the day and they, they have caught nothing. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? And as the sun begins to come up on the horizon, there's a man on the shore. They can't see who he is because the sun's behind him. He's backlit. But it was normal for, for someone to stand on the shore and kind of direct the boats. Well, hey, I see some activity over here. You might want to throw your nets over here. But different than that, the voice says this, my boys, you haven't caught anything yet, have you? No, sir, they reply. Throw your net on the other side. And they do. And there's a tug. And the net starts to pull and the boat starts to sink and Peter still doesn't get it. And Jesus is reliving his calling all over again, but John gets it. And he goes, Peter, it's Jesus. Don't you remember this moment? And it says that Peter, he, he puts on his, his cloak and he cannonballs it. Well, it doesn't say cannonball, but I think he does. He cannonballs into the water. Because the risen Jesus is not someone we run from. He's someone we cannonball towards. And he jumps in the water and they, they drag it. The, the net is so full that he has to, they have to drag it in. And when they come up on the shore, there's an interesting detail. Jesus has got a fire waiting for them to, to cook breakfast. Ask for some fish. Let me cook you some breakfast. We're gonna eat, let's have a breakfast together. But the fire is a charcoal fire. In fact, the, the word charcoal fire only appears twice in the Bible. Once when Peter denied him and once in this account. And so here is Peter and Jesus once again sitting across from each other, across a charcoal fire from each other, and we read this. Verse 15, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus starts by asking him, Peter, do you love me more than all of these? I mean, he takes him right back to his bold claim just weeks before. The very words, do you really love me more than all these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And, and, and we feel that, right? We feel what Peter feels like, even though I regret what I did, you know I love you. And he asks him again, and no doubt as he's taking him back to that time where they last were around a charcoal fire, he asks him, three times he asks him, three times he restores him, three times he calls him, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, tend my sheep. He's not asking him to go into farming. He's asking him to lead. Will you lead the church for me? 
And Jesus is doing something so powerful. He's meeting him in his failure. He is restoring him. Jesus is saying to him, Peter, we can't just sweep this under the rug. We can't just, let's not, let's not have this agreement where we just won't talk about that day. Jesus, who we know is the great physician, maybe in our day we would call him the great surgeon. Because he's so precise, he, he just, with laser focus, he, uh, he comes to us in those, those wounds, those areas of failure. He comes right to them and says, we can't ignore this. We have to deal with this. Trust me, let me restore you. Let me heal you. And he does this amazing work in Peter's life. Three times he comes into it to come to the three times he's denied him. And three times he's saying, Peter, I'm restoring you. Can I count on you? Can I count on you? Can I count on you? And then he has this challenge to Peter. Notice what he says next to him. Uh, it, it will, before you see this, watch. I, I think one of the key things that we want to see in Peter's story is this, that you're never too far away to find your way back to God. That wherever you find yourself drifting, wherever you find yourself struggling, whatever failure you found yourself in, we find in this story, we find in the life of Peter, that Jesus is willing to say to you, you're not too far gone. You'll never be too far gone. Let me work in your life. Notice what he says next to Jesus, or Jesus says to him, he says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're still my guy. And Peter, I'm going to take you where you didn't want to go. Peter, I'm going to take you to the very thing you were afraid of, but if you will stay with me, I will go with you. And you will serve me, and you will glorify God, and you will give your life for God. And he will be honored. But the only way that happens is if you follow me. Peter, I'm not giving up on you, but the only way we, we move forward is if you come with me. Come with me. And there's an invitation. Come with me. Do life with me. Follow me. And Peter does what I think a lot of us do. Notice what, how Peter responds. It says that Peter turned. He saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This is John. He's the one who leaned back against Jesus in the supper and said, Lord, who's uh, going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Peter does what we all do, right? He does the comparing game. What about her? What about him? How come she has it so easy? Why does he have it so good? Why do I have to struggle? Why do I have to suffer? She doesn't have to have it so difficult, right? What about, and Jesus goes, whoa, 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 whoa. What difference does that make? We're not talking about John. You follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Don't look over to the sides. Keep your eyes on me. 
I mean, Jesus could have played the game with him, right? He could have said, oh, John, you want to know what happens to John? You want to know about this prison island he's going to wind up being in and, and all the persecution he'll face and the terrible dreams he's going to have about all the, the, the end of the world and, and how it's going to turn into a letter to the church and then movies that Kirk Cameron stars in and, and all the different things. I mean, he could have done all that, right? But he says, Peter, Peter, do you see what we're doing here? Don't worry about John. You must follow me. And there's an awakening that's happening in Peter's life. Jesus is saying, I want to do something in your life. I want to bring you back to me, but you have to follow me. And, and we see in this moment something I think you and I can relate to, that finding your way back to God is something most of us have to do again and again and again. It's one of those things that we're going to see that we are going to stray, we're going to drift, we're going to struggle, and Jesus is going to come back and say the same thing each time. Hey, stay with me. Follow me. Because at the, the, the core, the key of finding these awakenings, this life with God, is in following him wherever he wants to take us next. I saw this illustrated in my own family a few years back. Um, uh, my family went through a, a really brutal divorce, 1981, my parents divorced, and it was, it was failure, it was painful, it was regretful in, in all its ways. And we had a, a lot of pain in our family as a result of it over the years. I was a middle schooler growing up uh, through all of it. A couple years ago, though, uh, as our family had kind of had all this strain between my parents and all these different things, a couple years ago, my, my dad called me and said, hey, I want to meet with you and your sister and your brother. And I'm thinking right away, I know what this is. He's going to tell us he's dying and we're going to have to figure this out. And he says, I want your mom to be there too. And so I can't even tell you the last time the five of us sat in a room together. It must have been 30 years where it was just the five of us. And we sat down kind of bracing for the worst, bracing for how we were going to hear news we've never kind of processed before. And my dad turns and does the most, he did the most amazing thing. He said to us kids, he said, you know, when I became a Christian, I realized how much hurt I brought you through the divorce and I've apologized to each one of you. But I've never apologized to your mom. And I want to do that today, but I wanted you guys to be here. And he turns and he faces my mom and he says, Susan, I am so sorry for the hurt that I brought in your life. It was my fault. I did it. And he just goes on to have this very beautiful confession and apology and turns to her and says, will you forgive me? And of course, if you know my mom, she's the most gracious woman around. She just... Of course. My sister and my brother and I were like, what just happened? <laughs> we had no idea what to do, so the awkward pastor says, let's pray. Like, and I led a prayer. <laughs> and we all went to lunch. But this afternoon, my whole family will gather together. And I have to tell you, it's surreal. We're, we're together again my parents and step-parents and all of us and our kids. And I just sometimes go, how did this happen? And I know, Jesus, only Jesus can make this happen. 
And, and, and my dad was in this place where, where as, a, as a follower of Jesus, Jesus said, Bill, there's something that we need to do next. You need to apologize to Susan. And my dad followed him. And he did what God asked him to do. And there was an awakening in our family, a, res- a restoration in our family. And so I wonder for you, Uh, what it is that Jesus wants to do next with you. See, here's our response today, this Easter, is that the risen Jesus wants you to follow him. So where does he want to take you? Maybe for you, it's to begin a life with him. Today, you need to just fall on your knees before him and say, as much as you want to say, Lord, depart from me, I get it, I don't deserve you. He will look right back at you and say, ah, No, come with me. Do life with me. Follow me. Some of you need to experience his forgiveness. Some of you just need to accept his forgiveness. He's been trying to work and rework something in your life, and you just got to let him do that work. But Jesus says, follow me, and Peter did. He followed him. He led the church. He followed him all the way to the end, just as Jesus said. He gave his life for him. In fact, tradition tells us that uh, Peter was crucified. Just as Jesus predicted, you will stretch out your arms. But Peter said, I am not worthy to die in the same way that my Lord did, and they flipped him upside down. Will you follow him all the way to the end? The risen Jesus is inviting you to follow him, to trust him. And so I don't know where he has you, but the best way I can help you with this is to to invite you to a prayer. Here's the prayer. It's found in Psalm uh, 139. And Psalm 139 simply says this. Uh, when we read it, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And I want to invite you in a prayer to say to God, Search me, search my heart, and show me the area that needs awakening. Show me the area that needs restoration. Show me the area you want to work in next. Because the next part is difficult. It's a little challenging, is it, to say, don't just show me, but lead me in the path where it will be life-giving. Let's not ignore this. Let's deal with this. Because if we deal with it, there's life. And so let's bow together. The psalm will be up here. I want to encourage you to pray this. And in just a moment, uh, we will sing a final song to celebrate that the resurrected king that he's resurrecting us, he's doing, he's building his life in us. So let's bow, let's pray together through this.